Hey, just a heads up that the following content may be disturbing or triggering for some listeners and is not appropriate for children. Please take care of yourself and others who may be listening with you. Welcome to the Bonus Babies Podcast, a show that has no easy answers, only hard questions. I feel like I never really had a childhood, to be honest. I feel like I lost out on a lot of normal human child things. And I feel like I had to grow up really fast. And sometimes that makes me upset. But I think if I didn't go through what I went through growing up, I don't think I'd have the community that I have. I don't think I would have the friends that I have. And I don't think I would be the person that I am today. Because I feel like my past has helped me to grow into the person that I am and the people that I want to help and the impact that I want to make is mainly because of what I went through. Can you tell me what you call the kids who you've cared for over the years? We feel that the children that we receive coming into our home are bonuses. So we call them bonus babies. I love that. This is your host, Jane Amelia Larson, and I'm Akasa, a court-appointed special advocate volunteer for youth in foster care. Yeah, I know, it's a mouthful. In the same way Akasa works, I explore all things in the foster care maze, by talking to kids, parents, caregivers, attorneys, social workers, therapists, really anybody and everybody who will speak to me to keep the conversation open and the information flowing about all things CASA. Hi, this is Jake Everly, the producer of the Bonus Babies podcast. And today, Jane Amelia speaks with Kendra Lukens. She was adopted at three years old, but when her adoptive dad died, her adoptive mother couldn't and really didn't have the skills to take care of her. So she was in and out of foster care and therapeutic group homes all her adolescent life. She's now the podcaster of Hear Us Yell. Here's Kendra Lukens. Hi, I'm here with Kendra Lukens. Kendra, hi. Hi. Thank you so much for being on the Bonus Babies podcast. And I know you have a really unusual and important story. So why don't we just start to tell me who you are, where you're from. What was your young life like? So my name is Kendra. Um, When people ask me where I'm from, I don't actually know what to tell them just because I'm from all over. All over, huh? I mean, I was born in Kingman, Arizona. So I was adopted at three, I believe. And I was put into foster care as soon as I was born because my bio parents were both drug addicts. So what happened from the time you were born to the age three? Did you live with your bio parents? So um, my bio mom did drugs while she was pregnant with me. And so I was taken out of her custody as soon as I was born and put into a foster home about three months after I was born. I see. So you were in foster care. Yes. From birth on, and then you were adopted Mm -hmm. at three years old. By my foster parents. Right, right. And you you were really fond of your foster dad, right? Yes. Yeah, you said he was your best friend. Can you tell me about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, what was that like? So um, my dad is the reason that I was adopted. My foster mom, adoptive mom, did not want another kid. She had my older brother, not biological, but she had another kid, and she did not want another one because she was... 68. Wow. And so she didn't want any more children. But my dad did not want to let me go. And so he got my mom too. 
say yes to adopting. I see. I see. So you were actually living with them. That's how yes. he. That's how he fell in love with you, and he was like, "No, we're going to keep her." Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then something happened that changed all that. What was that? Um, when I was six, I believe he was diagnosed with sweat brain cancer, and shortly after, right after I turned eight, he passed away. So almost ten years ago. Wow. And he was your best friend, and then he was gone. Yeah. How did you feel? Well, it took a while for it to finally, like, for me to finally understand, like, what that meant. Um, I feel like when you're eight, you don't really understand the concept of death. Like, I feel like all you understand is that they were here and then they're not. Yeah, and then also sometimes people say, oh, he went to heaven. But you're like, well, all right, but when's he coming back? So... With my situation, my mother was never sugarcoating anything. She told us that he was dead. He was never going to come back. And that that we just had to not get over it, but learn how to do life a different way. Right. But now your mom was elderly and Mm -hmm. she didn't really know how to take care of you, you said? Yeah. I feel like, I think she tried her best, but then she had two teenagers, one who was doing things he wasn't supposed to and another one who also was doing things they weren't supposed to. So, And, and that was you? <laughs> we were both doing different things, but both things that we shouldn't have been doing at our age. And um, things just got really difficult for her to cope with, as well as her health conditions declining very quickly. Mm-hmm. So then you were removed from her care when you were 13, right? Yes. What happened? Where'd you go? So when I was 13, I was put into a mental health foster home for kids who were um, considered at risk. Right. And sometimes those are called therapeutic homes, right? Yes. But, so what does that mean? There's, there's like extra attention. There's a, you're, you're carefully guarded. What? So things are locked up. There's alarms on doors. There's people who are certified to become like therapeutic foster parents. So then those kids are put into those kind of homes. And then you have to, like, go through all of this stuff to get out of it, Mm -hmm. which the chances of you getting out of it are very slim. Did you feel like you were in some kind of prison? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, because you you were used to being free, pretty much. Oh, yeah. I mean, my mother never knew what we were doing. We were always out. We never, like, we were never home. We were just always out on the streets doing our thing. And so it went from that to not even being able to cross the street on my own. Right. So what was the removal like? Like, how, like, did you go home one day and your mom said, okay, you're leaving? Or were there like fights and fights and fights that escalated into her saying, I'm going to send you away if you don't, you know, how, how did it go down? So my mother and I were always fighting, always arguing. We could never get along. I think we were in, we were in family therapy trying to get through all of it and it just wasn't working. She's the type of person to kind of make you take the full blame. But then if you like be like, I did this part, but you also had like this part in it, then she'll like freak out and be like, oh, it's all my fault. You know, I did all of this. This is all my fault. I don't even know why you're here anymore and all that kind of stuff. So it would just escalate really quickly. She sounds kind of dramatic, but. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. But but as you said, maybe she was doing the best she could, but she just couldn't do a good job. She didn't have mm-hmm. the tools. She didn't have the skills. Mm-mm. And she wasn't willing to get help. So you get extracted. Mm -hmm. And did you think you were coming back? 
Well, at the time, I wanted to come back. So as soon as I was taken from her, I started doing everything I was told, everything that they wanted me in the case plan to do, um, everything to make the therapist think that I was okay, and like anything I had to do to come back because being in that home was so strange. But also being in that home led me to being in many different homes throughout that time because they would send us away to different homes and then we would what? come back. What? 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 <laughs> what happened? So you would be in one home and then they would do like a respite care thing like twice, four times a month. Every weekend we would go to a different home because she wanted time with her own kids. And so we were treated as if we were not human beings and we were just moved from place to place to place. Right. You were just shuttled from place to place to place, depending on who was available to take you in for the weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So for our listeners that don't know what respite care is, it's for when, as you said, when a family says, I need a break mm -hmm. and there are other families in place that say, okay, I'll take your kid for a day, for, for a weekend, for a week. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those are okay places and sometimes they're not. So what was your experience? So the first home I was in for the weekend ended up not wanting me anymore and told the foster placement that they were never going to take me again because she wanted to go to church and she was trying to force us to go to church with her, which at the time I did not believe in God and I didn't want anything to do with anything with the church. And so I refused to go in and I sat on the porch of the church. So her punishment was you could never come back. All right, so what about some of the other homes? Um, there was this one home. It was huge, three-story house, and they put me in a closet. <sighs> they put you in a closet? Yeah, there was, like, a closet um, probably smaller than, like, smaller than the small bathroom. Like, say you go to, like, a restaurant, and there's, like, a bathroom there. Yeah, like a stall, the stall. right? Mm -hmm. It's the size of a stall. Right, so and... three by four feet or something, right? Mm -hmm. And so there was a tiny mattress on the bed. On, like, a floor, not a bed, um, but on the floor, and then they would lock the door, and you wouldn't be out until the parents were both awake and fed the, their children, and then they would let you out. What if, what if you needed to go to the bathroom? What if you were scared? What if... Um, if you needed to go to the bathroom, I believe there was, like, a bucket in the corner. Kendra, could, could you tell anybody that this was going on? Um, well, at the time, I didn't realize it was bad. So I've been so used to living in these kind of conditions that I just thought it was, like, normal. So I didn't really think anything of it. Right. And did you have one caseworker? Did you have a lot of caseworkers? What? So for therapeutic foster care or TFC, um, we didn't have a caseworker. We had our therapist. I see. But you must have had some kind of social worker somewhere along the way, right? Or no? If there was one, I didn't know them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're there in this so-called therapeutic home that mm -hmm. sends you away for the weekend so that they can have their own life. How, how long does that go on? What, what, what happens? It was for eight months. Mm -hmm. And then you went, you went back with your mom, your adopted mm -hmm. mom? Yeah. What was that like? So at first it was good. I went back to doing my thing that I was doing, not being home ever, just doing my thing. And then... Um, I don't know what really happened. There was just like a switch flipped and her health started getting really bad. She was having strokes in and out of the hospital and we would be home alone for months at a time while she was in the hospital. And 
don't really know. I was only there for like about a year and a half before I was taken out again. Right. And you were taken out again and put into another foster home and then another and another, right? Yes. So did you ever find a foster home that you liked or that you were happy in? Yes. And what what was that like? How old were you? It was, I was 17. Um, It was February of this year. I was finally put into a good placement. You remember it like that? Like, wow. Yeah, I was. I actually was removed on Valentine's Day from my last foster home and put into the home that I'm in now. That's right, because you just aged out. So only months ago... Did you, mm-hmm. were you finally placed in like what you call a regular home where you felt yes. it was like a loving, supportive home? Oh, yes. Okay. So why was that different? Because I want people to know that there's a difference. So why was it different? This home was two people who were pretty close to my age. Um, they were kind people. They were new to the system. So they were still like those fresh people that wanted to make a difference and they weren't doing it for the money. They weren't doing it because they wanted to play the hero and save a child. They were doing it because they wanted to, like, give a kid a safe home to live in, Mm -hmm. which was extremely different. I was able to help myself to anything. They had, like, snack drawers so that kids could, like, get snacks, and um, they didn't have any alarms on doors. Right, so the food was not locked up, which is the first time in a long time. Mm-hmm. There was the, no judgment. And the doors were not locked. Mm-hmm. So how did you feel? Um, for a while, I would complain about it being like, I need, I need rules. You know, I need, um, like I didn't <laughs> did? understand. I didn't understand why they were so nice. And sometimes it would annoy me because I was so used to people being aggressive and people being rude and and yelling so much and drinking and all of that kind of stuff that when I got here, it was really weird. Wow. But you didn't stay there, right? I'm still with them until I start college. You are. Oh, great. Because you also mentioned that you were in a juvenile shelter for a minute. What was that and why? So when I was first taken out of my home the last time, It was March of 2020, which is when COVID started. Oh, right, right. (laughs) And so no foster homes were taking in kids, especially teenagers, during COVID. So I was put into a juvenile runaway hide shelter for teen girls. Right. And you were, even though you said you were pretty much doing your own thing when you were at home in your adopted home... You really were a pretty good kid. And now at this juvenile shelter, you had ankle monitors, right? Um, there were, there were people there that had ankle monitors and all of that kind of stuff. Okay. I was a foster kid there, so I didn't have an ankle monitor, but there was still a lot of like different kinds of rules that we all had to follow. Mm-hmm. And you said that sometimes there were raids and there were a lot of drugs and it was scary. Um, what was going on? Yeah, so some of the girls would sneak in, like, drugs and things like that, and their phones, they would run away all the time. The police were always there and trying to figure out what was happening. Some people would run away, like, on the staff's birthday, which was really awkward. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah, one of the girls ran away on the staff's birthday, and she was saying the entire day how she wasn't going to run away on the staff's birthday, and then she did. (laughs) Right, and the kids are only supposed to be there for 21 days. 21 days. And how long did you end up there? 100 days. 100 days. I left on my 100th day. Wow. Yeah. 
So along the way, in any of these homes that you're in, did you make any friends? Did you have any friends, or did you have any good relationships with the other kids? So in the shelter, there was a girl there. She was the only other foster kid there. Um, she came about nine days after me, and she stayed for eight months in that shelter. She was one of my only friends because she was the one that was consistent not leaving and going back and forth, and she was just there. And we ran away together from the shelter. <laughs> what happened? Um, so we went to the river, and then that night we hopped the wall that they had, and we ran to Walmart. We put our stuff behind this building that was like a dance place, and we went to Walmart, and we started calling people to come pick us up because we wanted to get out. We were hiding in a stall, and then Walmart closed. Because it's not 24 hours anymore. And so um, I called my older sister from another foster home from when I was younger, when my mom, when my parents did foster care. And I told her that I asked her to ask her mom to come pick us up. And her mom called my mom. Mom called the shelter and told them. And they didn't know we were missing it for three hours. Wow. But during that time, we got kicked out of the bathroom, and so we ran to another bathroom that was on the other side of Walmart, and the janitor called the cops on us for being suspicious, which I totally get now. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, we, got, we saw the cops coming, and we booked it the other way, and they followed us, and they told us to stop running, so we stopped because the police in that town were not nice people. Um, they were very rude people. And so we stopped, and they asked us our name. I told them my name was Adeline. Ah, um, you made up the name. <laughs> <my friend>. Okay. <laughs> and my friend told her that her name was Rachel. And it sounded like her name, so it was easily picked up as, like, the same name. And then they told me that I was lying and that my name was Kendall. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, my, name, my name is Kendra. But Kendra, they told me right. that my name was Kendall. And I was like, okay, I'll go with it. They dragged me by my shirt and neck to their cop car. Even though we were showing no, like, uh, force or anything, we were showing no aggression or anything. But he used force to get me to come to his car. And he proceeded to tell me and my friend that because we are wards of the state, we will never mount to anything. We will never be good enough. He asked my friend where she was from. She told them, which is like a trailer park town. And he said that she's a perv's wet dream. And it was a lot of... um. Very toxic things that were said. This is the cop. The, mm -hmm. the cop talking to you. Yes. Yeah. Wow, that's just awful. And then they took us back to the shelter and we were there. So, I mean, it was a good fun day, though. <laughs> okay, now that you look back on it, it, it was a good fun day, right? It was fun, yeah. But then you, you said you did eventually get a caseworker that you thought had that spark who yes. helped helped you so tell me about her so it was a guy actually it was um, a guy excellent it was my fifth caseworker in this in this one time of being taken out of the home right and i still have him cuz he's now my independent living worker mm -hmm. um i'm meeting with him tomorrow um mm -hmm. but yeah. he's just a really good guy he would answer all of my questions he's the one that got me out of my toxic home and put into the home that i was in now Mm -hmm. He just works really hard to make sure all the students, like all the cases that he has are good and that they're all safe. And he goes over and beyond everything he's supposed to be doing and does way more. So uh, while all this is going on, are you able to go to school? Were you doing, you taking classes? Yes. You, 
Yeah. And you were I making good grades. Yeah. Right. Okay. So somehow you were able to get your work done. Yeah. <laughs> how did you, how did you do that? Did you just like focus really hard and, and go, go, go? Cause you must've. Um, in my last foster home, I used school as an escape. So I would stay there after hours and I would stay there longer. I would go early in the mornings. So I would just work, work, work on my schoolwork and just get everything done. And this new foster home you're in, the one that you are, you said that they upped your license in order to be able to to keep you, right? Yes. So they were only licensed for, I think, I don't remember, I think like something to nine, like Mm -hmm, five mm -hmm. to nine maybe. Yeah, there's certain levels, right? Mm Yeah. So they went through all the work to upgrade their license to have teenagers so that they could take me in. Wow, that's nice, huh? Yeah. You can tell they really care about you, right? Oh, yeah. They were doing nice things before they even knew me. They let me pick out my bed sheets. They called me, showed me around the house before I was even there. Like, mm-hmm. it took and about three months for me to actually get there. Really? Oh. Mm-hmm. So, so you mean you knew where you were going to go, but it just wasn't in motion until three months after? Yeah. I see. And then you told me you had a CASA, but not so great, maybe. so. <laughs> not so great. All right, so what about that? She was nice. Like, she wasn't, like, a mean person. But I feel like she only called me, like, right before court so that she could make herself look good. In order to get the information that she needed in order to write her court report. So you didn't feel like she was advocating for you? Not really. Because if she was advocating for me, she would have gotten me taken out of the home that I was in a long time ago. Right, and she was the one that also said to you what? She told me that it would be hard to get me out of that home, so I was just supposed to suck it up. Right, and that no one wanted teens. Um, That was my foster mom from that old home. Oh, your foster mom said mm-hmm. that. I thought it was yeah. the casa. I mean, it's equally no. terrible whoever said it, right? <laughs> yeah, so in Arizona, where you are right now, right? Yes. Kids age out at 18. Yes. Not at 21. So there's an option for kids who age out at 18 to move into a different type of care, which is independent living. Mm-hmm, the ILP. Mm-hmm. Which is why I always say taking advantage of the system that took advantage of me. Um, they <laughs> give you about $1,200 a month if you go into this, if you're working full-time, if you're working part-time and going to school, or if you're just going to school. So you just have to keep your grades up. Right. So you have to keep your grades up. So you get a little bit of support. So mm-hmm. when you say $1,200 a month, but you're also getting a place to live, right? No, they don't give you a place to live. So you can either do a housing voucher or you can do independent living. So who helped you figure all this out? Because there seems to be a lot of steps. My caseworker. Your caseworker. My caseworker. The one with the spark. Mm-hmm. Yep. And how's your ILP now? You're like, you're right. You have a good situation. You're happy mm-hmm. in the home. Oh, yeah. You're in school full-time. Yes. And you have a podcast. I do. Right. So tell me about that. So right before I aged out of foster care, I switched my entire life plan to advocate for foster youth aging out and former foster youth because I want to change the system that I was raised in so it's better for future kids because... With how our world is coming, there's going to be a lot more foster kids. So I want to make it a safer place for them. So I thought by raising awareness to the foster system, we could maybe make some changes. So I made a podcast where I bring on former foster kids and also current foster youth from U.S. and Canada now 
to share their stories and how the foster system impacted them and what they're doing now that they're out of the system. Mm-hmm. And what's the name of your podcast? It's called Hear Us Yell. I love that name, Hear Us Yell, <laughs> right? I just love it. And I love your logo too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really, really good. Is that your artwork or did someone do that for you? Um, I had a friend help me with it. Mm-hmm. And so you're on all the major platforms, right? Yes. So any of our listeners can find it on Apple, Google, Pandora, Spotify, everything. everything. Right. And how how is it? Is it hard to do? I mean, because I know it's hard for me. So, <laughs> I mean, but you're at school. You, you have access to a studio, right? Yes, so. this room right here. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So it's time consuming, but it's worth it. Just because I get to interact with so many people that are like going through situations that I went through or have gone through situations that I am going through. So I just feel like I've created a community for myself of just people I can like look up to and all that kind of stuff. Right. So so is your major going to be communications or some kind of social services or or what? Mm -hmm. What what do you what do you think your degree is going to be? So I'm getting a bachelor degree in social work. And a minor in criminal justice. Ooh. Oh, you're packing it in, right? Yes, ma'am. And how do you imagine that in terms of a career? I know you'll be an advocate for sure, probably (laughs) forevermore. I mean, if you start at 17 or 18, it's like, wow. I mean, but what else seems on the horizon? So um, for Arizona currently, I want to create my own licensing agency that'll make it harder to become a foster parent, but it'll also make it safer for foster kids. So there'll be a little bit more rules and a little bit more um, things that people have to follow to keep their foster care license, but it'll mean that we have parents who are good parents and it'll be a lot safer. When you look back on that house, that big house with the three stories that put you in a closet, is there anything you can do about that? Well, um... Or do you want to do something about it? You know, I guess is the question. I mean, it was a long time ago, so I don't even know if they're doing foster care anymore. I don't know their names. I don't know anything about them. I don't remember where it was. Hmm. So I honestly don't think I would be able to. They also had a lot of children. They adopted a lot of children out of foster care. So it was a full house, but I definitely think they could have done way better than what they were doing. Right. And so in the foster homes that you were in, did you feel that you were treated less than the bio kids or the adopted kids? Always. Always. Mm -hmm. Always. Except for this last one, this one that I'm in now. Right. And how, how many kids are in the home that you're in now? Just one. Just you? No, just me and then one other. Okay. So... What happened to your adoptive brother? Because he was a little bit older than you, right? Have you Are you in touch with him? So um, him and I, we have a rocky relationship. He is my adoptive mom's biological great-grandson. Oh, okay. So he is technically bio-family to my mom. And we were always treated like he was better than me. I always needed to make sure I was doing the same thing he was doing. There was just a lot of pressure for us to compete with each other. And so that put a huge rock in between our relationship. So I do talk to him from time to time, but we aren't like close or anything anymore. And is there any way that you've been able to get in touch with your own bio parents? Have you tried or have you thought about it or have you wanted to? My bio dad, he's he's chill. He He has a good idea on boundaries, which I really like. He's the type of person that's like, 
I know what I did to you and what I put you through is wrong and you get to choose when you want to come to me, Mm. which I like. I like not being able, like not being forced to do something, you know. My bio mom, on the other hand, is the type of person that will message me every single day. Um, I'll unfriend her on everything. She'll create new accounts. Um, She's always taking my pictures off social media and like printing them and giving them to her family, and it's just kind of like, it's, and she tells me that I'm her daughter, which I disagree with. The way I look at it is every child deserves a parent, but not every parent deserves a child, and I just really don't think she respects me as a human being, and I think that just because she gave birth to me, she thinks that she owns me. So, yeah, so, I mean, I don't really talk to her anymore. Can you ever imagine a time when you would want that? Just to know if there's anything I need to know before I have children, if I ever do have children. Mm-hmm. And what about your adoptive mom? Is she still alive? Um, my bio, or my adoptive mom is still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, she is 83 now. Wow. Mm-hmm. She's a very strong person, very willful. Doesn't get out much anymore. Um, I actually just got back from seeing her this past weekend. So you do see her and you have a you have a somewhat of a good relationship or is, is it still um, really thwarted? It's rocky. I keep my guard up really high with her. She tries her best, but she also has a boyfriend who is not that good of a person to my brother and I, but good to her. So that's all that matters, honestly. It doesn't really affect me anymore, but it did. She still has a temper, which is really hard for me to be around because I just, I feel like I more gravitate towards calm people and just people who are very like relaxed. And so when people get aggressive or something, I I pull back. And if you think about now about your life, like when as a child, adopted child, and then 13 or 14, how, how do you feel about it? I feel like I never really had a childhood, to be honest. I feel like I lost out on a lot of normal human child things. And I feel like I had to grow up really fast. And sometimes that makes me upset, but I think if I didn't go through what I went through growing up, I don't think I'd have the community that I have. I don't think I would have the friends that I have. And I don't think I would be the person that I am today because I feel like my past has helped me to grow into the person that I am and the people that I want to help and the impact that I want to make is mainly because of what I went through. So in a way, the trauma and the disadvantages that you had to had to go through have made you a stronger better person to help others yes that's kind of wonderful way to turn it around right yeah i mean and that is you turning it around you know because i just i just want to break this cycle you want to break the cycle right yeah yeah well that's that's truly a wonderful thing because you want to have a healthy, happy life, right? You don't want to live in an ugly place, an ugly, angry place mm-hmm. where you can't do and be who you want to be, right? Yeah, I can choose to be angry and allow all that anger to take over my life and stop living. Or I can choose to take that anger and turn it into um, something bigger than myself in a positive way. Again, taking advantage of the system that took advantage of me. <laughs> Wait a minute. Could you say, say that one more time? Because I love that. <laughs> taking advantage of the system that took advantage of me. Right. So are you in love right now? I'm not. You're not? I'm in love with my dog, if that counts. But. Okay. No, that's, hey, you know what? Dogs, you know, they can make you really happy. Mm-hmm. 
Right, so I want to ask you another thing that I ask all my guests, and I'm going to ask also that you try to dig deep for this. What is the one thing that no one would ever know about you unless you told them? Oof. Uh, um, I used to be a people pleaser, so um, everyone knows that. But there was a situation that I got me into where I realized that I needed to stop being a people pleaser. And when I was 16, I was assaulted by a guy that told me that he was my brother's friend and just wanted help with getting back into my brother's life. And I was the type of person that helped everybody no matter what, who they were. And I didn't know who this person was, but I also don't really talk to my brother. So I just figured, you know, I'd help this guy do something that I'll never do. <laughs> and um, he ended up taking advantage of me and then kicking me out of his car. Shortly while later, the police found out and DCS found out and they sent four male cops to quarter me to try and get me to tell them what happened to me. But the one tip I'm gonna give you is if you have a young female child who is assaulted, do not send four grown men to corner her because you're not gonna get very far. So you never told them what happened then? I told one person and um, she was able to send me a pregnancy test. And I waited about seven weeks before I finally did it, but it came back negative. So I never had to worry about actually telling anyone. If I would have a comeback positive, then I would have had to take the requirements necessary. Right, and obviously the guy was never prosecuted. No. Do you wish you could do something about that now? Um, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. I honestly stopped talking about it and stopped thinking about it, and that got me through a lot by just helping myself to get through it. And I would write about it, and I would do all that kind of stuff. But I feel like I just have dealt with the court system and corruptness for so long that now that I'm finally out of the court system, I don't want to go back into it. That's right. You don't want to go back. You don't want to live in that place anymore. You want to move forward. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I totally get that. All I do is just pray every night that I was the only one and he's not doing this to other people. So. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Kendra? Uh, no, that's it for me. Well, thank you so much for being part of this. and You're welcome. I know a lot of people are going to hear this podcast, and your story is really important. And the fact that you just are laying it out there, it's really, really brave. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kendra, for sharing your story with us and starting your own podcast, Hear Us Yell, giving voice to many other foster youth in the system. And I also want to add to any foster youth that are listening, if you believe your conditions are not appropriate, say something. Kendra's account of being locked in a closet throughout the night with a bucket to go to the bathroom in is important information and should be reported so that those people can no longer have the license to take care of children. A foster child should never be taken into a home to be treated like an animal or a prisoner. Thank you for sharing that with us. Our next guest is Jen Stern. She was a foster parent and became an adoptive mother of a young girl who came into her family when she was an infant. Jennifer is CEO of Great Minnesota Schools, or GMS, that provides expert guidance, funding, and resources needed to create a community of great schools. So join us next week for Jen Stern. Take care and be well. If you see something, say something. If you suspect a child's health or safety is jeopardized in any way by parents or anyone else, 
Contact the Child Protective Services Agency in your county. 24-hour hotlines are staffed by trained social workers who will help you through the process, and you can do so anonymously. In California, you can call the Child Protection Hotline at 800-540-4000. So if you see something, say something. You might be saving a child's life. If you want to know more about becoming a CASA anywhere in the country, go to nationalcasagal.org. And in L.A., casala.org. And if you want to know more about becoming a foster parent, check out the National Foster Parent Association at nfponline.org. There's also faithfosterfamilies.org and adoptuskids.org. There's tons of other information online as well, so you can just hunt around. We also want to thank the supremely talented Christina Apostolopoulos for her beautiful original music. You can find her music on Spotify or Instagram at Christina Aposta. And also thank you to Yukon Har for his engineering. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear and you find it as valuable as we do, please rate us and hit subscribe. You can also make a donation at bonusbabies.org. See you next time.